Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey guys, welcome back to We Met at Acme. I am so excited for this episode. It is with my dear friend, Sarah Levy. She is just wonderful and such a breath of fresh air. We got very real and just talked about her relationship. We talked about finances. We talked about dating sober, life after you get sober. She has a new book out called Drinking Games, and it is the perfect read if you're sober curious, if you just want to read a good book written by someone with a lot of talent. So check out her book. Before we get into that, we're going to do, I'm going to do a little solo part possibly a little longer because I did cut out some stuff from the episode that I'm not necessarily ready to share yet. So we have more time to chat just us. Okay. I ask you to, as always, you know, submit what you want me to talk about. And I actually asked you what you wanted to hear about for a solo episode. Um, But I'm going to take some of it and talk about some of it now and then save some of it for the dedicated solo episode for this month. So the first, oh, wait, let me tell you about New Year's. (laughs) I forgot that I'm a person um, who does things sometimes. New Year's was so much fun. So Stephen and I like kind of think of New Year's as our anniversary because we ran into each other at this New Year's party in 2019. And after that, we kind of were on each other's minds and, you know, ended up starting to date and now we're married. And so every year since then, we have gone, except for one year, which was the pan, like major pandemic, no one was doing anything, the party didn't exist. We have gone back to that party and it's been kind of like a cute little anniversary for us. And this was the third year and we decided to go back. But this is definitely a party that like is we are outgrowing. Everyone at this party is like 25, 24, 23. And there are some usual suspects, like some people that we see every year that we're like, oh, hey. But for the most part, we are probably outgrowing it. But it is so fun because there's a DJ, there's good music, a dance floor, a countdown, New Year's like decorations. I mean, that's kind of all you can ask for when you want to go to a New Year's party. So we went. It was so, it was fun. Like we we actually ended up driving to the party because we wanted to utilize my sobriety. And it's so impossible to get an Uber in 
especially in a place like Miami on New Year's, like just no, no shot. And I remember last year we were like fighting people to get an Uber and the years before and whatever. And so we drove and we, you know, had a very civilized time. We were there. We hung out with our friends. We met some people. I met some of you guys, which was so much fun. And, and that was New Year's. It was really great. And then I decided to stay in Miami because my parents have this rental here for a little bit. And I have to tell you, I'm so seasonally depressed in New York City, like not having vitamin D. And I know like we're all going through it. Like I'm no different, but it just really hits me harder. It really does. And I, and I just, I can't, I can't leave. Like I just couldn't leave when it was time to go on the first, you know, Stephen and I had our flights and I was like, I can't do it. Like I, I'm not going, I'm not going home. You're gonna have to drag me the fuck out of here. And so I stayed for a few more days and that's what I'm doing now, just working from Miami. But it's just, it's made me a happier human. Like also Miami happens to have amazing healthy food. I'm trying to eat healthier. They have really good workouts and just to be able to walk more. Like I know we're supposed to get our steps in in New York, but when it's cold and it's gross out, like I don't really want to walk. Sorry. Like I just don't, I don't want to do anything except for eat, eat, eat and be miserable and depressed. And so here, at least there's a little bit of, you know, happiness in this moment before I go home back to that. And I know you're probably listening, thinking like, why does she live in New York then? You know what? Because it's amazing. (laughs) I genuinely do love it. And I'm so happy to see our friends when we're there and our family, but it's in the winter. It's, it's hard. It's hard. And so, you know, if you're struggling, I get it. Like every time I go home in the winter, I'm, I'm struggling too. Okay. How to be a, how to become a high value person if you don't feel your best. This has one answer and I'm not going to sit here and say that I do this because I am not great. Like I, I do this sometimes, but a lot of the times when I'm not feeling my best, I end up like just not being the person that I want to be. But if you want to become a high value person, if you don't feel your best, the way to do it is to act in a way that you would respect if somebody else acted. So like is to do something service oriented, right? To be, to show up for people, to be helpful, to go above and beyond for your job, for your family, for your friends. That is really how you become a high value person. It starts with you, you know, turning it on and really trying to show up for yourself, show up for everyone else, stick, find a routine and stick to it. Especially, you know, it's January 8th. Like we're still in that week where like everyone's going to the gym every day and then everyone falls off, like stick to things. I know it sounds way easier said than done, but stick to things. That's the beginning of becoming a high value person. Do the work on yourself, stick to things. I was just listening to a Goop podcast episode with Gwyneth Paltrow and Kim Kardashian, which I highly recommend. And Gwyneth was saying that the reason that she found Brad Falchuk, her now husband, was because of all of this intense work that she did. And that's Gwyneth Paltrow. Like you're probably thinking like, what? Why did she need to do it? She, you know, we all need to do the work. 
And that's how we get that high value person and become the high value person. Early stage dating tips. So this is where the rules come in. Obviously, you know, let them initiate. Don't text them too much. You know, don't like blow up their phone. Don't have like an outpouring of your feelings and thoughts and emotions for them. Like let them lead in in all of the ways. Um, I think also early stage dating tips, like don't follow them on Instagram right away. Like let them, you know, follow you and don't like text them every time something happens. Like there, there should be some mystery and like, that's exciting, you know, and keep it exciting and send like photos every now and then, but like not of everything you're doing all the time. Make them wonder sometimes, like if you have a dinner with your friend, just be like, yeah, I'm going to have a dinner. Like you don't need to tell them every detail of everything. I think that really helps when it comes to dating. And also, of course, like being open and honest about things and, you know, slowly becoming vulnerable, but let them earn it. Integrating with significant others friend group as an introvert. Any tips? Yes. I think I can be like an ambivert sometimes. So I can swing it when I'm with, like when I first meet a group and and make it happen. But the best way to get to know your significant other's friends, especially if you're an introvert, is when you're in a more intimate scenario and talking to them one-on-one. Like I have a friend of Steven's that I never really got that close with. And then, you know, we were in an environment where it was very chill it was just like, you know, four or five of us hanging out. And I just started talking to him. And I was like, you know, he had gone through a breakup. I was like, tell me what happened. Tell me about your breakup. You know, how did you guys meet? What wasn't working? And I think having those one-on-ones is what really helps you integrate because then that person wants to advocate for you. They want to be like, oh, Lindsay's great. Like she, you know, really is interested in me. And guys notice that stuff. Like I was in a situation recently where this girl was hooking up with one of Steven's friends and one of his friends came up to him, the friend who's hooking up with the girl. And he was like, I don't like her. She like didn't even, I tried to talk to her and she didn't even like make an effort with me. So that is like, I was kind of mind blown because I was like, oh, I didn't realize that guys are like, you know, thinking about that when their friends were like hooking up with a new girl, but they are. And so really try to make that effort. If you are introverted and it is hard for you to talk in like that kind of setting, then tell them that. Like, I would love that if one of my friends was dating some guy and I was like trying to get to know him and it was, he was like being awkward or whatever. And he was like, by the way, I'm an introvert. So like we should talk, but like not here. I'd be like, oh, cool. Totally. You know, like I would respect that he was self-aware. I would think that was really cool. Um, somebody, oh, you guys, my parents are just like talking up a storm outside, but you know what? This is what I get for, for staying with them. I should be very grateful and I am. Okay. This is a big, a big thing that I want to talk about. I want to make a TikTok on this too. What's better for a relationship? Opposites attract or birds of a feather flock together? 100% birds of a feather. I, my entire life, went after somebody who was so different than me. Somebody who, I don't know why, I just like didn't want anyone to know them. I didn't want anyone to have kissed them before, seen them before. I wanted them to be totally a new thing to me because I was like, 
oh, if they're someone that, you know, I don't know and nobody knows, then we'll never get bored and we'll always be learning new things about each other and each other's cultures and this and that. And that's not necessarily false, right? But it wasn't, it, it obviously didn't work for me because then I would date these people and they were too different. I'd be like, what? You don't know to like do this normal thing that we all do? Or like, oh, you don't understand like anything that I grew up understanding and vice versa. Like it just, it gets too hard, I think. And then also like you judge me and I judge you and we're in a judgy place. Whereas like someone who is, birds of a feather to you, right? Is someone similar to you? They understand you. You understand, you walk into this relationship understanding each other, having a mutual understanding of, oh, like I'm Jewish and, you know, my parents love to do X, Y, and Z on this holiday and so do yours. And, or, you know, you grew up loving Ja Rule and Ashanti. Oh, I love this song too. Like, oh, you know that when we go over to someone's house, like it's important to bring something, you know, just like little things are just, they help you connect. And I really don't think like, you know, birds of a feather flock together. Like Stephen and I, yeah, we both grew up in New York. We're both Jewish. We have a lot of like similar friends in common, but he and I are still so different. And so birds of a feather flock together doesn't necessarily mean you have to be the same person. No, you should have same, like similar experiences in life or similar values, similar things that you can connect on. And then the rest you do figure out each other because no one person is the same. No two people are the same. Expectations versus reality in my perspective on being married. Okay. Expectations. I guess I was like, oh my God, we're going to be married and we're never going to have sex again because like, this is what people tell you. They're like, oh, just wait till you're married. You're not like, not going to do anything. And you know, blah, blah, blah. I just like, I don't know. I, I thought that like, I was nervous about that for sure. At the same time, I was like, oh, we're going to be married and like life just takes off. And then like you have this family and you have this and that like, no. So I would say in terms of like the sex expectations, like we definitely still have sex. Thank God. Do I understand why people have sex less? Yes. Uh, We definitely don't have sex the way that we did in our first six months of dating. We're tired and you know, we have so much going on and and we're going through like real life stuff and that stuff gets in the way. And I think that marriage is like that, like, okay, that you don't have to do, you don't have to necessarily, like, unless you want to, of course, but like, you don't have to be doing, you know, like, in, you don't have to be intimate all the time. Like, you can still be intimate in other ways with your partner. You can get close from an experience, from a fight. Like, and I think also expectations versus reality. Like, I think you see all these people who like, you know, start to start a family on their wedding night. And that's great for people that that happens for and like that, you know, want to do that. That's amazing. But I think there's something really beautiful about enjoying marriage before kids come into the picture. And So I guess my expectations were like, oh, we're going to have a baby like right after we get married. And my reality was like, oh, we're going to enjoy being married. And then we'll do that when the time is right, you know? And I think that's something that is different for me that I adjusted to, but I actually am really grateful for. 
I also think that like, you know, with the fighting, like, yeah, we do fight a little bit more now that we're married, but it's because we have more to negotiate. Like we have more going on. Every decision affects us a lot more. And like the other day when we were in Miami together, we went on Stephen's friend's boat and we got in a fight. And like the last thing I wanted to do was like fight in front of his friends, you know, but we ended up fighting in front of his friends. Like not like, like just like a little argument, but it was like clear we were arguing. And like that's never happened because like we just don't, we're not like like that couple, you know, but it was happening. There was nothing we could do about it. It was just a reality. And then like the next day we were, you know, in the car and we were talking and I was like, did your friend, cause he went to like a boys dinner after that like fight that night. And I was like, did your friends like say anything about the fact that we had a fight? Like obviously everyone noticed, you know? And he was like, oh, they were just like, is everything good? And he was like, yeah, it's just marriage. <laughs> you know, like we fight, you fight sometimes when you're married, you'll see. Cause none of his friends are really married um, in that crew. And I like, I laughed like the way he said it. It's like, it's so true. Like none of my friends would ever be like, oh, is everything okay? Because like everyone's married. So like they know that like that happens, you know, and that's okay. And it's all about how you resolve and resolving is so much more important than the fighting itself. How to express needs and expectations without sounding bitchy. Okay. This is, first of all, it's not bitchy to have needs and expectations. Like, fuck that. But I understand why you think that it could sound bitchy and maybe naggy. I think the way to do it is like, here, like, like literally saying like, here are my expectations. Like, what are your expectations? And like, what are some things that you need that I can fulfill? And what are some things that, you know, here are some things that I need that you can can fulfill. And I think it's a conversation. It's not a conversation when you're mad. It's not a conversation when you feel like your need wasn't fulfilled. It's just a conversation to get ahead of expectations and needs. So when people are like, oh, like, how do I get them to text me more? It's like, oh, well, it's too late now. You have to tell your expectations in the beginning of the relationship. Like, maybe it's not too late. I mean, that's harsh, but like, the sooner the better. And we have an episode on this with Sean Galanos, which I highly recommend you listening to. Basically outlining like how to express your needs and wants, how to have check-ins of like, oh, are my needs being met? Are my expectations being met? You know, and expectations are, it's not a good word to use because they lead to reality. You shouldn't have expectations, but you should have boundaries and you should have needs. And I think just having the conversation of like, hey, and also like, making sure you're playing to their heartstrings, like being like, Hey, when you did this, like it made me realize that something that I need from you is this, you know, like be sweet, be sweet. And then it won't sound bitchy. It won't sound naggy. It'll sound legit. And then lastly, how to know what fights are worth working through versus when it's just not right. I would say, okay, this is a perfect segue. Cause I just talked about it. Like a fight that Stephen and I had, like our fights are never like I don't understand you. This isn't working. Like we have this same fight over and over. Like it's never like that. It's like, here's something I felt in this moment. And I know that wasn't your intention, but I'm telling you, let's fix it and move on. You know? And I think if you keep having these fights where you're trying to fit a square peg into a round hole and forcing this relationship to work or trying to get them to change or 
or not being able to accept something about them that you've tried to accept multiple times or just, you know, a pattern, a pattern that just will not quit. That's when you know it's not right. When you, I mean, your gut knows, like your gut always knows when you're doubting it, when you're like, oh, can I do this forever? You probably can't, you know, is this something that is going to be long-term? I don't know if I can handle X, Y, and Z. Then don't, you know, like you don't have to stay in something that makes you miserable. And like, you have to look at these signs before you really commit to someone. And so you know if the fight is worth working through versus when it's just not right. If it's silly, if you're like, oh my God, I can't believe we thought about that, work through it. If it's serious and like relationship altering or makes you feel horrible afterwards constantly and consistently and it doesn't stop, like, you know that it's time to walk away. Anyway, I hope that you got something out of that and I'm really excited for you to hear Sarah. It's a new year and it's time to get creative. Whether you work for yourself or if you're part of a team, you should make your online presence and your business stand out from the rest. And you can do that with Issue. If you post content on your website right now, if you share to social media or send it to your clients, but then you have to do all this reformatting, resizing, redownloading, re-uploading, it's a lot. And you need Issue because you can create it once and then share it everywhere everywhere. Issue is the all-in-one platform to create and distribute beautiful digital content from marketing materials and magazines to catalogs and portfolios and so much more. There's no need for endless scrolling through PDFs. Issue features your digital content in an easy-to-view way on every device. It also works seamlessly with the tools that you already use and love like Canva, Dropbox, MailChimp, and InDesign. You can start using Issue for free or you can use the premium version. And guess what? I have a code for both of them. So you can get started with Issue for free, as I mentioned, or sign up for an annual premium account and get 50% off when you go to issuu.com slash podcast and use promo code ACME. That's issuu.com slash podcast and use promo code ACME at checkout for your free starter account or 50% off an annual premium account. That's issue, I-S-S-U-U dot com slash podcast and promo code ACME. Check it out, especially if you are a creator, marketer, or designer, and I really think that you're going to love it. Hey guys, welcome back to We Met at Acme. I'm so excited to be back with my friend Sarah Levy, the now author of Drinking Games. I'm so happy to be back. It's so so good to see you. It's so great to have you back in the city. Yeah. So for a refresher for anyone who didn't listen to our first episode, which I don't know why they wouldn't have. but Yeah, they should listen. They should. How old are you and where are you from? I'm 33. I'm from New York originally and I live in Los Angeles. Love it. And what is your current relationship status? Because that has changed. That has changed. I am married. Amazing. Amazing. And for some background, Sarah and I met four years ago. Yeah. Like four years ago. Yeah. Four years ago through being sober. Yeah. And just so happened that I think it was like, I don't know, maybe like the fifth time we hung out, the fourth time we hung out, we we're talking about dating because obviously I'm always talking about that. And yeah. I was like, oh my God, you need to meet this guy. He'd be perfect for you, but he lives in LA. Yeah. And introduced you. And now you guys are married. I know. 
it's so it's crazy. It's such a good story. And every time I tell it, it's like so unbelievable to me that it worked out. It's unbelievable. And it really, I'm, I have to credit the, like, I have to credit astrology in this right. case because I was like, you're a Virgo. Yes. And he's a Cancer. Like your grandparents. Like my grandparents. Yeah. <laughs> That's literally all I need. Like, yeah. I was like, perfect. Done. I know. I love that. And I remember, I mean, I remember like our first conversations. You have such a way of just making someone feel comfortable. And I remember very early on, I just felt like I could trust you. You were just very like easy to talk to. And you're like, so what's the deal? Like, are you single? And I just trusted you. You know, you're like, I know this nice guy and I feel like you guys would hit it off. And in retrospect, like he was a total stranger who lived across the country. And I was like, yeah, give him my number. I love it. But also like there was so much that weirdly was like aligned with you guys. Yes. And I feel like you had manifested each other in so many ways. Like I think he had literally said to me that like he wants like a French girl who went to Brown. That's so funny. (laughs) That's literally you. Yeah. It's so crazy. I do think I manifested him. And I literally, I remember like writing a list of like the qualities that I wanted in a partner, you know, and some of them were like a lot of people could have them like nice and yeah. smart and supportive. But also I loved that he was, you know, independent. He has his own business. He was just very driven, funny, you know, kind. Yeah. And and we had so many of the same values. We loved to travel, like things you couldn't have known. Right. Like on the surface, it was just like, yeah, to like Jews from New York. Right. Like maybe you guys would have things to talk about. But it was so, we had this like instant connection. Yeah, it's amazing. And we talk about it all the time. We're like, Lindsay changed our lives. <laughs> like it. every time we tell the story. Going back now to that like beginning phase of your relationship, what yeah. were some green flags for like people listening that are, you know, starting to see someone new? I felt so comfortable with him right off the bat. You know, it sounds cheesy when people are like, it felt like going home or it felt like being home, but it did. I just felt like I could really talk to him and he listened to me and he remembered things I said and asked questions and, you know, just made me feel really special. Not in like a creepy, like love bombing way, just like he like saw me, you Mm -hmm. know, he was just like, it's really cool that you're, you know, at the time I was like a year and a half sober and I was like thinking I might I was still working in marketing, but I was like, I think I might want to, you know, pursue writing full time. And he was just like, do it. Like he thought it was so cool. And he just had this really, like he had a mindset of like abundance, you know, which is something yeah. that I've talked about. Like he was just like, yeah, anything's possible. And he ta- and we just talked about the dreams that we both had. And it was just really easy to picture like doing a lot of those things with him. Totally. Other green flags. I mean, he just like, texted and called when he said he would and like always made plans and made you know came up with fun ideas for future dates and he was just excited about like continuing to see me and I just liked him I just it was just like a feeling in my gut yeah I love that yeah it really is a feeling and now you guys are married you live in LA you moved to LA I did how did the decision of who's gonna move for who come up like how did you know what was yeah gonna be the end result there it's so funny I remember when we first started talking my friends being like well you're not gonna move to LA right and I was like I would never like I love New York I'll never leave my family's here like all my friends are here and at the time Adam was back and forth for work so he had clients in LA and clients in New York and so we kind of were back and forth for a little while and I remember saying to him like "I, I don't see myself leaving New York and it's just so funny how like your mindset can really shift 
we were together for about a year and then we started talking about spending more time in LA. And by then I was full-time working you know, for myself. I was freelance. I was doing some consulting. So I had the flexibility to do that. And we spent a month in LA and I really liked it. And it was just yeah. sort of a moment where I was like, maybe, like maybe I could be open to this. And he had also been the one up until that point in the relationship who was really bending over backwards to make it work. Like he was the one flying, you know, at least once a month coming to New York, like really showing me that he was committed to not just being like pen pals, like he sure. wanted to be yeah. in a relationship. And so I remember talking to our friend, Brittany, she was like, you know, maybe this is an opportunity for you to like compromise a little bit and just see, see how it goes. And if you hate it, come back to New York. And so we kind of had made the decision that we would, we were open to, to moving to LA and then COVID happened. Like mm -hmm. a month later, we went into lockdown and we quarantined in New York together for like three or four months. And at that point I was like, you know, so many people were leaving and it, it made it easier for me to, right. to think about actually leaving and, and trying something new. And so we moved June, 2020. Wow. Yeah. And got a dog. We got a dog. Which is really cute. Yeah. What other than getting a dog did you do for yourself once you moved there to feel like you had your own, you know, I mean, obviously that the dog is a joint thing, but like, did you feel like you had enough close friends there? Did mm -hmm. you feel like you, like, how did you make yourself continue to be independent in your relationship when he had his own thing set up there already? Such a good question. And that was such a priority of mine. Like what I loved about my life in New York was I was so independent. I had so many friends and I just had, I could do something every single night of the week without needing to even like talk to him. You know, right. we had to like plan date nights. It wasn't just like assumed that we were hanging out. And then we moved to LA where I basically knew no one. I mean, I had a few friends of friends and Adam had friends who were lovely and kind, but like I didn't have my people and I was really freaked out. I was like, I don't want to put a strain on our relationship. I don't want to be too dependent on him. I also like I had a driver's license, but I wasn't a confident driver. Yeah. And so the first couple months I felt like I had to like ask him, like my parents, like pick me up and drop me off places. Yeah. Granted, it was like quarantine. So there wasn't a lot to do or a lot of places to go. But I, I felt like so dependent on him and I hated it. And so I really made it a priority to just do things on my own. I did a lot of like, it felt like dating, like coffee dates with friends of friends and just trying to like go on walks with people, get coffees with people, you know, and being a writer, I don't have like coworkers or an office to go to. And again, it was 2020. So no one really had that, which helped a little bit because I didn't feel like, oh, everyone else is hanging out without me. Like right. people had flexible schedules. I made a friend where we would like just go on hikes on, you know, random times during the week together. And that was nice. But I definitely made an effort to find my own people and do things without Adam. I think it's really important in any relationship to have your own lives and to be like yeah. two individuals coming together. So um, important. Otherwise, it's like, what do you have to talk about? You know, right. and so that was something I I really prioritized was like finding people, finding a community of my own, and really making sure that I was like putting my sobriety first, my self-care first, like just doing the things that I needed to, to do to continue to show up as the person that I want to be in that relationship. Yeah, yeah. If you are someone that has made a New Year's goal and you're like, I actually want to stick to it this year, and maybe it has to do with being healthier because that's one of my goals for sure. 
New Year's doesn't have to be about crash diets and deprivation. Instead, Saqqara wants you to nourish with more of what helps you look and feel your best. Their organic meals and wellness essentials are designed to support your goals, whether that's weight loss or clearer skin or whatever it is. Are you ready to ring in your healthiest year yet? Sakara delivers science-backed, plant-rich nutrition programs and wellness essentials right to your door. Their ready-to-eat meals are nutritionally designed to deliver results from weight management and eased bloat to boosted energy and clearer skin without having to diet, without having to not get enough food. Sakara actually gives you enough food. They give you the right food and you still get these amazing results. Sakara is offering our listeners 20% off of their first order when they go to sakara.com slash Acme and enter code Acme at checkout. I personally am a huge fan of their probiotics as well as their detox tea and their meals generally just kick ass, especially their granola. Oh my God, don't even get me started with how obsessed I am with their granola and their cute little milk, M-Y-L-K. Like I am obsessed and have been trying to recreate that on my own forever. And it's just never as good. So again, right now, Sakara is offering our listeners 20% off their first order when they go to sakara.com slash Acme or enter code Acme at checkout. That's Sakara, S-A-K-A-R-A.com slash Acme to get 20% off of your first order. Sakara.com slash Acme. Hi, I'm Bethany. And I'm Anthony Garcia. And this is the Garcia Diaries Unfiltered. In this day and age of filters and heavy editing, we believe in sharing the real and raw parts of marriage, parenthood, and real freaking life that often get filtered over. Every week, we share next level real life confessions from our audience. You'll either feel seen, highly entertained, or maybe even both. Come hang with us and catch a new episode every Friday. Make sure to follow so you don't miss a single confession. So you've now been sober, sober, is it five years now? Yeah. Because I have four years. Yeah. Crazy. It's crazy. Crazy. Also, because when I first got sober, I remember you had like a year or maybe almost a year. And I was like, that's the longest time I've ever heard of anyone being sober. And now I'm like, that's nothing. Yeah. Planning your wedding, having a sober wedding. Mm -hmm. What was that like for you? We, I did an episode on sobriety, you know, a few weeks or months ago. We'll see when this comes out. And I talked about my sober wedding and just, you know, how it was like, I could not even fathom having drank at this wedding because it went by so quickly, even as someone who was sober. Mm -hmm. So what was that experience like for you? Same. I mean, before getting sober, the two things like I had in my head were how would I ever get married without drinking? And like, what will I do on my honeymoon? And like, I didn't have a boyfriend. There was no honeymoon or wedding <laughs> yeah. happening. But like, those were the two big events that I couldn't imagine doing without drinking. And then they happened. And I'm so grateful that I was sober for them because like you said, they, my wedding day went by so fast. I was present for all of it. And I was, it was exhausting. Like I, it was so much adrenaline. Like all I wanted was water and food. Like if I had been drinking on top of having an empty stomach or just like the jitters from the day, like I definitely would have blacked out. Yeah. I'm sure that I would have thrown up by the end of the night. Like it wouldn't have been cute. I would have woken up the next day with a horrible headache. And instead I really got to just be so present for that moment and enjoy the day. I didn't even think about drinking. Like I, I truly didn't. And yeah. It's wild to think about that now because five years ago, that was something where I was just like, 
well, we'll see. Like maybe I'll drink when that day comes. Because right. I, I really just couldn't imagine it without at least like a glass of champagne. Did you do anything like simulating a toast type of thing? Yeah. So we had, you know, a full bar for all the guests who were drinking. And then we also had like a signature mocktail mm-hmm. and like sparkling cider for guests who weren't drinking. What was your signature mocktail? It was like nothing crazy. I think it was like, oh my God, I don't even remember now. Like, wait, oh, I remember now. It was like a blackberry, like lemonade with um, sparkling water. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I remember same thoughts. And then I also like, we did our honeymoon in Anguilla. Where did you guys go again? Hawaii. Amazing. Yeah. And I remember thinking like, Anguilla is like this like island and like they like make these beautiful drinks and like pina coladas and the, and first of all, a non-alcoholic pina colada is unbelievable delicious unbelievable my favorite thing like literally way know. better than a re- like steven was like this is so much better than a regular pina colada he was like i'm only getting these pina it's my favorite thing i know like w- what is Creamy, the name for it why delicious. am i it's not called a non-alcoholic it's called a like a virgin a virgin yeah. a virgin pina colada, a virgin pina colada. Like, i forgot the name it's for virgin so good so good like yeah. all of those drinks virgin are amazing it's like, like less calories without the incredible. alcohol it's so incredible. good and like being on my honeymoon right like i when I used to drink and like would drink on vacations, like I would get such a headache by yeah. like before dinner time because I would be drinking on the beach. Right, because it was like a nonstop thing non-stop. on vacation. Instead, I was like fresh. Totally. Yeah, sometimes really I would good. like miss like the night. Yeah. Yeah, it was it's it was bad. So you and Adam are both like entrepreneurs, which yes. is amazing. Similar to Stephen and I, actually. Yes. I'm curious because I get this question all the time. What do you do in terms of finances? Mm. So like for us, like, I think it's so important that even though maybe we have one like joint account Mm -hmm. that we still have our own accounts like for things that are just for us or whatever. Like how do you make those decisions? Great question. And something that I feel like everyone should talk about if they're living with a partner or engaged or whatever. Um, We do the same thing. So we have a shared account, a joint account, which we started right before we got married, like when we started getting gifts mm-hmm. and um, and then like after the wedding, like that was where we would put like the gifts that we got right. for our wedding. And we both like put money into it kind of like based on, we have like a little system based on who's making more money. Mm-hmm. So it's like based on a percentage. And then we have our own accounts as well. And I guess we both have our business accounts also. So mm-hmm. there's like more accounts, but if you think of it like three, it's like I have my account, right, we have right. a joint account, he has his money. Mm-hmm. And I just think it's really important to have your own money and to feel independent that way. I mean, when you're married, like marriage is a contract, like everything that's mine is his and everything that's his is mine. Like it's all the same. But I do think that there's something just psychologically very empowering as a woman or even maybe just speak for myself. Like for me, I love knowing that I'm able to buy something if I wanted and, you know, get a gift or just have financial freedom in that way yeah yeah what would you do like let's say you were like a stay-at-home mom like how would you create that financial freedom if you didn't have your own income stream like yeah I think that being a stay-at-home mom is also a job like it's a full-time job and think that that's like conversations to have with your partner around like okay like pay me like pay me I'm doing this job like I don't want to hear about it. Yeah. Like this is our money. Mm-hmm. And if I wasn't at home, I would be out working and bringing in money doing X, Y, Z. But instead, like I am 
holding it down right, here like and raising your this. kid. Like we've we've agreed to this arrangement. Therefore, I'm going to spend our money the same way that I would spend my own. Right. And obviously, like everyone's situation is different. So having the like, mutual respect and talking about a budget and like what that looks like. But I do think once that conversation has been had, feeling empowered to spend money on the things that are important to you within reason is really important, you know, mm-hmm. versus feeling like you need to ask permission. Mm-hmm. What do you think about the notion? Because I've heard this recently with some couples that I know where like if both of them work, mm-hmm. all of the man's money goes to like things for the couple and like renovations and kids schooling and, you know, dinners that they take mm-hmm. out. But like all the woman's money goes to like her personal shopping stuff. Like, do you think that's fair? No. Yeah. I don't think that's fair. If that's and okay with your partner yeah. and that's something that works out uh-huh. for you guys, that's great. But I feel like, no, it's a partnership. So both partners should be contributing to shared expenses. Right. And I mean, it's interesting in my relationship, Adam also like loves clothes and loves shopping. So yeah. he'll be on Mr. Porter like shopping no. for himself. And I'm like, wait, like... <laughs> Should I be shopping more? Like, uh-huh. so I think it. I think it's also just like dependent on who wants to spend money on that stuff, right? right. Like, it could be that the guy wants to spend money on yeah. clothes or whatever. But I think it also changes, right? Like, with where you're at in your relationship. Like, our first year married, like we were, we traveled a good amount. We would eat out. Like, we weren't necessarily thinking about like finances in the same way that maybe now we are starting mm-hmm. to think about like our future. So I feel like it's a good idea to have like financial check-in conversations and yeah. be like, where are we at? How are we feeling about what we've been spending our money on? Like, you know, I think it can feel very daunting and overwhelming. And I have experienced this where I'm like, I wish that we had been taught this stuff in school, right. like when to start saving and how much to save every month and who puts how much into our shared account. And I think it's just like having conversations and talking to your friends about it also and being like, what do you guys do? What works for you? Yeah. Who pays when you get your nails done? Like, how does it work? People don't talk about they it. They don't. And it's so crazy that we weren't taught it in school. Like, yeah. It is one of the most like I'm never doing math ever. Right. But I am always needing to know yeah. about how to work my finances totally. and like how to pay taxes. And yeah, I just have zero knowledge because it was never taught to me. And like now I have to learn. Yep. It's so frustrating. But speaking of future conversations have. So how does being sober affect your thoughts on kids and like how you will raise them and kind of like are you going to want them to drink or not mm. to drink? You know, like, have you thought about that that far out, even though you're not supposed to future trip? You know, what's so funny is like, I remember thinking before I got sober, like, oh, like I can't get sober because one day I'll have a kid and they'll think it's really weird that I don't drink. I think that like, too. And it's like, what? Like, yeah. what kid? Like, how am I showing up as a mom if I'm like drunk, you know? And totally. that's just how I drank was like, yeah. if I was still drinking and I had a baby, like, that wouldn't be cute. Like, I wouldn't be able to, like, show up and, you know, be the kind of mom that right, I want to be. but at the same time, like, how do you explain to a kid why right. mommy's not drinking? Why mommy's not drinking. Like, mommy can't have that special juice. You know, I have thought a little bit about it only in the sense that I think it's going to be great to be a sober parent. You know, I have friends who have kids and some of them are sober and some of them are not. And the ones that are not have always said like, oh, it's going to be so great to not have to parent with a hangover. Like they're like the hardest thing about having a kid is sometimes like those nights that you go out and like 
have a couple of drinks, nothing crazy. And then the baby still wakes up at four or five o'clock in the morning and like yeah. you still have to get up and be a parent, you right. know? So in that sense, I think it'll be great to not be, you know, dealing with a headache when I'm hopefully a mom. But you know, one of my favorite things about being sober has been like reconnecting with my inner child and like my most authentic self. I think that's something I really couldn't do when I was drinking because I was so concerned with like, what did everyone else think? And what was everyone else doing? And how can I fit in? And what do I wear? And what do I say? And now like the last five years have been this cool and ongoing have been this really cool process of becoming who I really am and, and just feeling comfortable in my own skin. And a lot of that is like just fun stuff, like innocent stuff. And I am really excited to sort of get to reparent myself in some ways and like show up as a mom and create like traditions around holidays and just like wholesome things that yeah. I kind of moved away from when I was so concerned with like partying and what other people are doing. So I'm excited for that. That is really exciting. In terms of like having a teenager and if they'll drink, yeah, I'm sure that they will. And I think. Like, do you tell them that they're like predisposed? That's such a good question. Like, cause I'm like, I don't know what I like. Cause for me, like no one in my family is like, you know, is struggles with aware drinking. that yeah. they're an alcoholic right. except for me. Okay. So I'm like, do I, so it, yes, mm. it's potential genetics, you know, but at the same time it could not be. So it's like, do I say, be careful when you're drinking because you might really like it or yeah. don't smoke too much weed or like, do I just say like, do you, but then if you have questions about doing it too much, you know, I'm around. That's such a good question. I think that, like I saw a TikTok LOL recently about this mom who was like, I have a no questions asked policy with my kids wherever they are, no matter what time it is, they're not going to get in trouble. They call me, I'm there, I pick them up. I love that. I love that. Mm -hmm. And so I think that to a certain extent, I would like to bring into my future parenting style, just like yeah, you're going to do what you're going to do. You're going to be curious. I personally feel like having a a mindset of like shame or secrecy around drinking can sort of feed the beast because then it's mm. like, oh, I have to do this in secret and I don't know how much I should drink. So maybe I'll drink more because I don't know if there'll be any leftover later and I don't want to get in trouble, right? It's just like this, that was sort of my experience in, in high school was like, I knew it was bad and I shouldn't be drinking and so I didn't really like learn how to do it right. ever. Um, I feel like that's many, many people's experience. Too. Yeah. And so I don't think I'll teach my kids like this is what a shot is. But I think just being like, if you're curious, if you're drinking, please don't drive, call me, whatever that. Okay. So there's that. And then I think with like being predisposed to like addiction or alcoholism or what have you, you know, I don't have a lot of alcoholism in my immediate family. But I definitely, now that I'm sober, I'm getting like glimpses of, you know, oh, right, that like great aunt probably had a problem or like, oh yeah, we didn't talk about it at the time. But like, I think this person maybe had something or had some, was predisposed to depression. I'm like, oh, that actually makes me feel so much less alone and a right. little bit less like it's, you know, just like a me thing. Yeah, And it's like, you know, I have a family history of breast cancer, for example. And it's cool that I know that because I can take certain actions now to like start getting mammograms, mm -hmm. right? Like before I'm 35 or just like 
be aware of it instead of feeling like a sitting duck. So I think in that sense, having conversations one day with our kids about like, this was mom's experience. Right. It might not be yours, but if you have questions or if you want to talk about it, I feel like that's all that you can really do. Totally. And also, I think it was Glennon Doyle in her book. Did you read Untamed? I like I've been in it. It's so good. Not, and she has this one line where she's like, you know, your kids are not play that you can like mold or mess up. Like they come out and they're already people. Like they're 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 who they're going to be more or less. All you really need to do is like love them and and kind of like teach them yeah. right from wrong. And so it's also like that takes some of the pressure off, I think, of like if my kid's going to like drinking, like that's going to be what it's going to be. But I have an opportunity to answer their questions and be an example of like, hopefully this is what it looks like to continue to not drink and sort of help like shed some of the the stigma around it. That's amazing. I yeah. like that a lot. Yeah. Speaking of Let's books. round out. Tell us about drinking games. Is it your life story? And if it is, how... And like, will the people reach out to you who you definitely talked about, but change their name? Okay, so let's talk about drinking games. So I always wanted to write a book. That was like my dream. You know, it's like kids want to be pop stars. They want to be ballerinas. Like I always wanted to be an author. I love books. I've always like, anytime I have something that I don't quite understand or know how to work through, like I look for a book on it or even just like for fun, like on vacation, like I'm reading. I love books. And so and it's funny now, and we're just talking about social media, like I've had a couple of people, like friends slash like, are we are they my friends that are like, well, who's going to buy this? Like so many people talk about sobriety on social media now. Like, do we really need a book on it? And I'm like, Ew, yes, what? like people want books. Like people yeah. like to read. Like books will always yeah, be in. I'm reading like, every night. I love books. So I always wanted to write. And when I got sober, I started journaling a lot. And just writing about like all the firsts and just a lot of the feelings and was freelancing and, you know, wrote for The Cut, wrote for The New York Times and had been getting a really positive response. And a lot, I had read a lot of like addiction memoirs and oftentimes like they, they end when the person gets sober, like they hit bottom, they have all these crazy stories and then they see the light and they get sober at the end. And I always wondered about like what happens after, like what happens when you're going on your first date? and you're not drinking? What happens when you tell your friends? Like, how does everything change? Mm. I didn't want anything to change when I got sober, but like it does and yeah. in a lot of really cool ways. So that was sort of the idea for the book. And I wrote it and it is a memoir in essays. And so it's different subjects and how they were impacted by my drinking and then by my decision to get sober. So everything from like my dating life, my career, my mental health, wellness, social media, and I'm so I'm so excited that I get to share it soon. And it's so good. What is your favorite chapter? Oh, I love that question. I love so many of them. There's one about I have like a few that I love. There's one about manifestation and like yeah. the power of manifesting that I love. And it's not like woo-woo manifestation. Mm -hmm. It's just about like taking ownership over your life and your decisions right. and how it's impacted me. That one always like makes me emotional when I read it. There's one about startup culture, which is like close to my heart. Mm. Um, and I love, there's one called Alcoholism Needs a Makeover that I love. And I think it's hopefully going to be an important conversation starter around this idea of like the stigma that still exists around sobriety and right. how like we've made so many strides in the way that we talk about mental health and the way we talk about, you know, 
sexual assault and I think sobriety still has a stigma of like, ooh, you must have been like a really bad alcoholic to need to get sober or you must have lost everything. And I think we still have work to do around just right, collectively breaking that. That's neither of our stories. No. And yeah, I mean, if you're looking for a book, if you're sober curious or sober or not even close to ever getting sober one day, but just want to read an amazing book. Like this is that book, truly. I have to ask, there was a chapter called How I Was Influenced by an Influencer. Yeah. It, was it a real influencer? It was. Oh my God, I want to know. <laughs> we can talk about it off air. <laughs> okay. To your earlier question, names were changed mm -hmm. to protect the privacy of those mentioned in the book. Uh -huh. And some identifying details were were changed. And but, you know, it's it's not like a how-to self-help book. It's right. a book about my experiences. And so I had to write a book that was true. And some people people were part of that. Yeah. Fuck you, exes. <laughs> Amazing. Can you leave us with a quote or piece of advice, maybe something from the book that you can share with our mm. listeners? You know, I think that before I got sober, I had a certain idea of the things that I wanted from my life. Like I thought I wanted to hook up with this guy or get this promotion. And the coolest thing about getting sober has been like this life beyond my wildest dreams that like I never even imagined some of the things that have happened for me now. And so I guess the the piece of advice is like, you don't know all the ways in which your life could change if you just gave up that one thing. It could be alcohol it could be pot it could be like anything that's not serving you but like dare to believe that your life could just get so much better i have can. full body chills from that where can everyone find you and order the book you can find me on instagram at sarah l levy and the book comes out january 3rd and you can buy it wherever books are sold and there's more info on my website sarah l .com. cool thanks sarah thanks note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.